podcast this week, we incept Judd Apatow and ask him all about his new documentary, George Carlin's American Dreams. Plus the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that has actually been moonlighting for some time with a second job. They said it couldn't be done, that it would upset our work-life balance, that we wouldn't be able to juggle our empire duties with doing the visual effects on She-Hulk, attorney at law, but we have proved them wrong. Oh yes, indeed. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast. What do you think? You, you, You're so you, mean. What? That's not mean. <laughs> it's I'm a bas- bit mean. I'm basking in my glory. It's a bit mean. It's a bit mean, implying that the effects are so bad it looks like you've done them. Uh, that's that's not the implication I, I really? was, I was really? getting at. Is, is it not? You have. That's what yeah. you have inferred from really? that. What I was saying is I'm so proud of my uh-huh. work that I'm mm-hmm. uh-huh. yeah. trumping it to the world. Mm. To the visual effects artists who worked very long and hard hours on She-Hulk, who I have no doubt listen to this podcast, all I can do is apologise to Christopher Hewitt. To, to apologise to me? That was a weird slip, wasn't it? That was, oh my a, God. That, was a, that was a hard left turn in, in, in the plot of this particular podcast. <laughs> no, I'm not apologising to Christopher Hewitt because that would be a first. But uh, for him, you know, as yeah. I generally do whenever we go out in public. That said... <laughs> Guys, we need to talk. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk in plenty of time. The, the movie news section. Objection, Your Honour. Um, <laughs> sustained. <laughs> the, the, uh, we'll be talking about uh, She-Hulk and the uh, incredible CG of She-Hulk. What? See, you think I'm being sarcastic, but I'm really not. No, we know you're being sarcastic. Yeah, we, we do. Fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> it looks good. It's an abomination. Because obviously he's literally in it. That's he's all I'm saying. I'm simply and he saying looks, the character appears. And he it. looks really good. That's right. Yeah. 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 Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the Empire <laughs> Podcast. Uh, this week we are in the grey, depressing pod booth. Uh, and I'm joined by just two colleagues of such lethal cunning this week. We're joined by geek queen Helen O'Hara. Hello. And we're joined by great big fucking nerd James Dyer. I like to think while there are only two of us, we are more lethal and more cunning than most weeks. Concentrated lethalness and cunningness. Mm, I'm, I'm certainly so, feeling are you saying, lethal. Sorry, cunning? Yes. Okay, yeah, I thought yeah. I missed Ah, I see. Yeah. Mm. Uh, that would yes. be unprofessional during a podcast. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> no, there actually is a podcast, isn't there? There were uh, a I couple... Because uh, I read about it in The Guardian. There's a podcast where a couple have sex. Shut up. No, this is, this is a real thing. A couple, um, uh, I think they're a married couple. I hope they're a married couple. Well, no, I don't hope they're a married couple. I'm not being puritanical. <laughs> wow. I mean, I hope they're a couple. I hope that they're... No they're... on-air cunnilingus outside of the <laughs> sacred bonds of matrimony, yeah. says Chris Hewitt. <laughs> Went fully in there. Yeah. No, I say no. <laughs> there will be no fornication. <laughs> not on my podcast. Good Lord. And the day after Derry Girls finishes, <laughs> and you were going to disrespect our people like that. Boy, okay. And this is absolutely true. So Boyd hosted a Q&A with Lisa McGee uh, for the Derry Girls finale. And Ian Paisley Jr. was in the audience. What? And at one point, because obviously, it, sorry, Ian Paisley features, his footage of him features in the show. He put his hand up to ask a question and Boyd was like, oh, it's all going to kick off. It's all going to kick off. And his whole thing was, who's your favourite Derry Girl? <laughs> I'm absolutely serious. This is 100% true. I would like to know, who is your favourite Derry Girl? <laughs> That's exactly what was said, yeah. You know. Is it Claire? Says, <laughs> it was no, Claire. To <laughs> was <Orla>. it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I must protest in the strongest possible terms about the wee English fella. Well, surely he wouldn't. He wouldn't. No, he would like him. More English fellas. Why is the show called Dairy Girls and not London, London Dairy, Dairy Girls? Girls. <laughs> As it should be called. 
Uh, this is going super well. So, no, hang just, on, you were telling us about on-air cunnilingus, and this is this is important. There's a, there's a, uh, there's a well, you know, I didn't want to go all puritanical and sort of DUP about the whole thing. Uh, there's a podcast, I don't know the name of it, and I can't remember who was involved, but there's a couple, and they have decided to work through their, you know, be open about their sexuality. Uh-huh. So the, the gist of their podcast is that each episode, they have sex, and they record themselves having sex. Now, this is a very bold strategy because that's like, what, a two, two and a half minute podcast <laughs> max? Uh, so, <laughs> including just roping a I mean, play, obviously. But, but is there conversation or is it just I don't know, I haven't listened the, to this podcast. You know, right. But apparently, they, they, so they, yeah, they talk about them, what they're doing. So I am now... <laughs> You know, what, let, let the record show that Chris is, Chris is gesticulating making, wildly. Actually, like, it looks like you're opening Doctor a portal. Strange. Yeah. It's Doctor yeah. Strange yeah. opening a portal. Yeah. yeah, that's what sex is, isn't it? Yeah, it's all, it's all um, sling ring. It is. It's very much that. I guess. By the hoary hosts of Hoketh. That's right. <laughs> and the boots of Watum, or is it the wand of Watum? You should never show someone your wand of Watum. By the faulting sure. boots of... That's thingy. it. Yeah. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. That's it. Um, okay. This is a very sexual podcast. Mm, I, I feel is. like... Maybe let's dial that back and actually focus on the movies. Maybe this is all. All right. That's, okay. Let's focus okay. on the movies. Put your wand of Watum away and let's, uh, you know, <laughs> press on. Uh, should we have a question? Yeah. All right. So we had, we had a couple of listener questions to discuss, one of which was, uh, I think, highlighted on the Empire Facebook group as just uh, an, an awful, awful question from an awful person. Um, and it came from Scissorly7, who said, between Stephen Grant, Baby Yoda, the panda from Turning Red and Paddington, if only one could survive, who <gasps> would you choose? Stephen, no. Stephen Grant. So there's, there's that to maybe consider. We can Stephen. maybe answer that. The answer is Stephen. Uh, there's another one with Top Gun Maverick finally coming out after many delays. What's the longest you've had to sit on a film you've seen without being able to discuss it? Is there anything in that? Do we want to discuss that? Yeah, we could do that. Do we want to do that? Mm. Okay. And then there was a third question, which came from at Chris Hewitt. Mm. Uh, during the recording of our Downton Abbey A New Era spoiler special, which is a real thing that actually happened and will be available in your spoiler special feeds <laughs> for subscribers. We are. I would like to say next week, <laughs> but you know how things go. Um, we don't know why, but it will. Um, and we had fun. And I think that's the most important thing. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, the question that came up during that was uh, Helen interviewed Julian Fellows, who is a lord. Mm-hmm. And we were wondering how many lords, ladies, dames and knights we have all interviewed. I've so interviewed we, we the Dark Lord that. of the Sith. Does that count? It does not count. No. Oh, no, I interviewed him as well, though. Which yeah. was Vader. Yeah. Oh, no. Well, uh, yes, actually, Emperor, I did Vader and the Emperor. technically yeah. outranks him. Yeah. This is true. Uh, okay, so let's, let's, let's figure out which one do we want to do. Do we want to do the horrible question about killing cute characters? Do we want to do the question about films that have been delayed? Or do we want to do the question, my bullshit question about posh people? Mm. I don't well, not posh people, because they're not all posh. They've been benighted or bedamed. Do the Lords of Dogtown count? No, they don't, right. James. And Lord of War doesn't count. You Damn can't it. recount your Nicolas Cage. <laughs> I was on set of Nicolas Cage's Lord of War. Not a euphemism. Mm. I was on set of Nicolas Cage's National Treasure Book of Secrets. Wow. I think I did win. he show you his Book of Secrets? He did not. Right. Yeah. What do you want to do? Which question? We don't, don't have a lot of time. No, let's do the last one, simply because I don't recall what films I've ever seen, let alone in Fine. advance. Let's do that. All right. Okay. So... The question comes from at Chris Hewitt. It is, uh, have you, how, how many lords, ladies, dames and knights have you interviewed? I don't know. Jedi knights? Numbers. Oh, God. 
<laughs> You're a monster. <laughs> I don't know numbers. I have uh, definitely interviewed uh, Sir Ben Kingsley. Sir Ben. And Sir Patrick Stewart. Yes. For two. As have I. But I have also interviewed Helen, the Padishah Emperor Shaddam IV. So I win. But is he in real life a sir or a dame? I mean, he's Christopher Walken, but you know. Mm, yeah, so you again, you've misunderstood the question, right. James. Almost deliberately, you might yeah. say. You, you might say that. Yeah. Mm. Definitely deliberately, yeah. probably say. Yeah. Why are you being obtuse? Is it deliberate? It's kind of my thing, though, isn't it? <laughs> it is kind of your thing, but, uh, but you know, but just that, that's just for, for, for a All second. Right. All right. For the sake of saying, answer the fucking question <laughs> for once in your life. I mean, like, Ben, Sir Ben, Sir Patrick, Sir Ridley as well. Oh, Sir Ridley, yes. Sir Ridley? Yep. Sir Ridley. Yep. Uh, okay. I've done Sir Ridders. Uh, who else is there? Oh, 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 obviously Dame Judi Dench. Uh, what do you mean, obviously Dame Judi Dench? Obviously yeah, Dame obvious. Judi Dench. She's it's a not, dame, you know, she's, yeah, but you it's, know. it's not obvious I mean, that you would like have interviewed her. Okay, yeah. well, I have interviewed her. In fact, we had a very long conversation about iPods because Colin Salmon had bought her an iPod. Who should be a knight, by the way. Who should be a knight and isn't, but had bought her an iPod. And so we got, we were sitting around chatting at the London Film Festival and she was telling me all about this, this miraculous device that Colin Salmon had bought her. And he described her as, and this is an absolute quote, a techno babe. Techno babe, in the sense of being a babe in the wood, or in the sense of being a super hot. He woman wasn't who's specific, into but basically, I'd interviewed him the night before, and he had told me all about this. I see. Uh, I think I want to say for Resident Evil, it may not have been. Uh, and then I interviewed Judy Dench the next night, and I brought it up then, and we had what a big chat on? about it. Hmm? Well, what film was this for? I genuinely don't remember. It was because it was London Film Festival thing. So you remember, so before red carpets were a thing, just for like, because I'm very, very old. When the London Film Festival used to be at the Odeon West End before it was knocked down and rebuilt, uh, you didn't have a red carpet. You just had the light bar where just talent would just sort of swan around having coffee, and you could just sit down with them and have a chat. Mm. It was all very informal and very pleasant, and and that's what I did with Dame Judi Dench. I unannounced plonked myself down next to her and and stole her tea. All right, okay, Judi Dench. I, I think that's that's pretty good. Maggie um, Smith is she a dame? She yes, is, yes. yes. Maggie Smith as well. What did you talk right. to her for? One of the Harry Potters. I want to say the oh, first very one. Very good. Very good. Yes. Yeah. Was she a dame then, though? It's hard it doesn't to say. matter. I mean, it really doesn't matter. It's all the same, yeah. What I'm trying to do here is elicit good uh, stories about good it. Ideas. How's it going? Uh, yes. I mean, <laughs> I mean badly. I went, I went for coffee with Sir Patrick Stewart, uh, oh. for Logan. Uh, oh. We had coffee in a West London eatery. Oh, nice. Yeah. So you um, actually like, so as if you were just like pals. As if we were just pals and we just sat oh, down and had a, had a nice coffee in a cafe and uh, he was delightful. And I think it was, he had filmed back to back for like two years. I mean, this is a man who even then was over 80 mm. and had literally filmed non, he had, he had literally not had a day off in something like two years at that point, and I think he was a little bit running on fumes. He has quite the work ethic. Yeah, he really does. So uh, so he was an extraordinary fun person to talk to because, you know, he had so much recent experience of everything. But he'd been on, you know, he'd been on stage with Sir Ian, of course. Yes, of course. Ah, there's another one. Uh, yeah. Yes, indeed. I thought of another one. So Christopher Lee, who called the office to yell at me. Christopher Lee. He did, Lee. Yes. yes. Yeah. That was, that was exciting. That was nice. Always nice to get yelled what, at by a What was a he yelling, yelling at you about? I, we may have misrepresented him in a news story. And yeah. Answer took the umbrage. question. He wouldn't, he wouldn't answer the question, so Christopher Lee was furious. <laughs> 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 and he is a man who, you know, by many accounts, actually killed people during the war. So Great. Yeah. Yes. You yes. don't want to piss him off. No. Yes. He, um, he, um, he had signed the Official Secrets Act, hadn't mm. he? And he, he, was, he stayed very mum. But it was, a great, it was a great moment, wasn't there? I think it's on one of the documentaries, behind the scenes documentaries on one of the Lord of the Rings. I'm not sure if this is a documentary or just an apocryphal story that I've heard uh, where Saruman 
is either stabbing or being stabbed. <laughs> and uh, Peter Jackson was going, like, you get stabbed and then you fall over and you go, uh, you know, ah. And Christopher Lee was like, a man does not make a sound like that when he has been stabbed. <laughs> take, it, <laughs> take it from me. And, and, and everyone's like, a bit like, oh, holy, holy shit. Holy shit. Holy shit. Yeah. yeah. Sarah Man will fuck you up. He yeah, really he really will. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a good one. Christopher Lee. Yes, I've interviewed Christopher Lee as well. I've also had lunch with Patrick Stewart, not to one up you, Helen, but uh, mm, it was. There we go. Uh, it's I not that kind of podcast. I don't like l- meeting famous people and having lunch with them. Because I, I, you know, you don't know what to do. You don't know how to get catch up or down your front. Yeah, you, you're yeah. a little bit paranoid about taking a slightly too big mouthful <laughs> and then not being able to. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I will say, I was once interviewing Peter Mullen on the set of Tyrannosaur and they brought me, um, you know, it was like a, a rolling lunch. So they brought me some like quite spicy food oh, no. and I was eating them. <laughs> I was eating them. Oh my god! <laughs> well, wow. Tune in for that podcast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, I took a bite of something, and it was horrendously spicy, <gasps> like horrendously <laughs> spicy. And I probably have the audio of this still somewhere. Where uh, for a good minute and a half, I was just going. <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> and Peter Mullen just sat with a bemused look on his face going I go on fucking dial in <laughs> yeah. Yeah. any chance of water Peter and then like you know you, you get those things so tell me about working with Patty so sorry so sorry <laughs> yeah he's not a knight yet no but he, but he should be. so that's he's, completely he irrelevant yeah. to this yeah. conversation yeah. Uh, Kira Knightley's a something isn't she OBE oh, yes, ABE EBE What's what is it is it an OBE What's the lowest? What's the, one. what's the one she's got? MBE, I think, is lower than OBE. Well, she's got one of them because we chatted about it. Which is lower than CBE. And, and I think she hadn't been presented with it, but she had been told she was getting it, so I'm not sure whether that counts or what not. What about the DUP? What, what's, <laughs> what's that? that is not an award. That is not an award. Uh, I have a little list here. Oh, good, good. Who, uh, who's on there? Sir Kenneth Branagh, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, we all Sir Ken. Him. We've all spoken We've to Sir Ken. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's a delight. He he is. He is. In fact, I spoke to him recently for uh, the current issue of Empire Magazine, which is on sale now at all good and evil news agents. Uh, he had just come back from the ATM, which, wow. made, which made me think. was like, but you're presumably a very, very rich man. Why do you have to faff around with ATM? But also, who uses cash? Well, maybe he was, you know, paying a tradesperson or something who wanted payment in cash. Who knows? Are you saying he was trying to defraud Her Majesty's government of well-earned tax? I'm just saying some people prefer their money in cash. It doesn't mean they're not paying tax on it. It might. But it doesn't necessarily. All right. Okay. So here's here's a list of some actors who've been awarded knighthoods. I'm going to try and skip the dead. Michael Caine. Yes. I've, I've interviewed him on several occasions. I don't believe I have. And as you can see, I absorbed... His speech patterns. You did. Perfectly. Yes. Well. Billy Connolly. You don't don't think, think so. so. You walked out of his yeah, stand-up show. You it's not my fault. Heathen. He wasn't funny. Oh, my, oh God. my God. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Look, I tried to find him humorous. Of all I failed. the unforgivable also, things you've said. Also, That's the frankly, worst he thing. dragged me all the way to fucking Hammersmith to see him as well. So I wasn't happy from I the mean, get-go. He personally did not drag you anywhere. I mean, you say that. Anyone else? Uh, Anthony Hopkins. Oh yes, okay. Him. Yeah, Ben Kingsley. Yes. yes. All right. Ian McKellen. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. In fact, we've interviewed Ian McKellen at his house uh, uh, on a on a couple of occasions. Michael Palin. 
On yes, stage? yes, on yeah. stage. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Jonathan Price. I didn't know Jonathan Price was a knight. Neither did I. I didn't yeah. either. There you go. Well, apparently, then, apparently, he is. Kevin Spacey. Yes. <laughs> he's not a sir. What are you talking about? According to this, he's, he's, a, a he's on this list. Sir Kevin he's on Spacey. Are you fucking kidding? He's on this list. I'm going to look it up. Mm. I'm going to look it up. I have, in fact, interviewed Kevin Spacey. I bet you have. Mm. Spacey has won. He was named an honorary commander and knight commander of the Order of the British Empire in 2010 and 2015, respectively. <laughs> but they have not been rescinded. Wow. Yet. That's it for the living people. All right. Uh, dames. Living dames. Mm-hmm. Uh, Julie Andrews. No. I'm, I think I, I spoke to her on a red carpet, so I, I don't that counts. That counts. That counts. Okay. That's fine. Judy Dench. Yes. Yes, he's a Helen. You're letting the side down here. I'm really bad at remembering. Like when I did those, you know, we used to do all those TV interviews that were five minutes long. Yeah, and you forget. You forget. I genuinely, I do the same. And this sounds Mm. it sounds awful, but because they're so fleeting and it it so doesn't feel like you've properly met the person Mm. that you kind of do forget. Well, the reason I've done so many is because I used to do so many red carpets. So Mm. I, especially like film festival stuff, where you just like do five, ten famouses in the night, and you would absolutely forget who they were. Yeah. Angelina Jolie, apparently. Yes. What? Yes, I spoke to Dame her. Angelina Jolie. This I buy it. Is, I don't. I don't believe it. I won't well, believe it. Done, I shan't believe she's it. She's done quite a lot of charity work as well as everything else, you know. So, uh, I spoke to her on set of Maleficent, and she looked magnificent. Magnificent, and, Maleficent, um, and was delightful and funny and self-deprecating, and uh, yeah. I yeah. have found her to be all of these things as well. Mm. I, only I did her for for uh, Gone in sixty seconds. Okay. Uh, I did her for Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Oh, what a film. Uh, she may be, she's up there with, with Halle Berry as the most beautiful person I've ever been in a room with. Yeah. Uh, and my wife, obviously. Um, but you do a podcast with me and Helen. I feel my next answer may incriminate me. Uh, <laughs> Helen Mirren. Yes. 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 I had a, uh, an hour long sit down with her in New York for the big interview at the back of Empire Magazine. Um, she was extremely sparky and fun. And and when we got out of the interview, the PR said there's been warning of a snowstorm. Literally, this had not been talked about before the interview. It was during that hour. There's been talk of a snowstorm. Our flights tomorrow have been cancelled. We either fly back tonight or you're going to have to stay here till Sunday. And I was like, oh, yeah, Sunday, please. Thanks very much. I'm going to see New York in the snow. Thank you. Yes. And Helen Mirren encouraged me every step of the way to stay in New York and basically go for a walk in the snow and was absolutely cheerleading for me to to do that. So I have a, a huge amount of affection for her. She's clearly a woman with her head screwed on. Did you do this? Oh, yes, I absolutely did. So I'd already been to Hamilton the night before. I don't know if I've mentioned that. I saw oh, that on Broadway. Right, the cast. okay. Um, but then I stayed on. I went for a walk around Central Park with a friend who lives there the next morning. I met a different friend who just randomly turned up out to be in town for lunch. And then my cousin turned out to be there and I saw them on the Sunday. It was the best weekend. It was so good. And New York in the snow was just to die for. And it's all thanks to Helen Mirren. (laughs) Thanks, Helen. (laughs) Only in the Empire podcast could, uh, we're so pure and chaste that only we could relate an anecdote about a major star involving snow and it's (laughs) actual snow. Um, Can we we kick this up a notch? Has anyone interviewed royalty or anyone connected to that? No? I mean, no, but they're not cool, are they? No, no, I'm, I'm just saying we should up our fucking game because like we're, we're dilly dallying with dames and knights lords and, and ladies. We haven't even mentioned you the know. lords and ladies, but I was going to say very, very quickly, uh, Emma Thompson. 
Dame Emma Thompson uh, very recently for, in fact, an upcoming uh, interview on the podcast. I didn't. Sir Alan Rickman. Was he though? He is now. I, how dare you? He is. Yeah. He is. I'm right I mean, here, he right now, knighting him. Best, if he hasn't already had the one. The best actor winner, best supporting actor winner, of course, for Die Hard. Uh, he didn't do that either, but we're writing some wrongs. We are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, we should and maybe, quickly down under. Are there people we should mention who turned down their knighthood or equivalent? I know Danny Boyle was offered, I think it was a knighthood, but certainly a BE of some sort and mm. was a bit too socialist. He said no in principle. Yeah. Like, I love turning down knighthoods. It's great. It really makes me happy. Oh, bouncing, bouncing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is exactly what happened. This yeah. is weird and feels very Downton Abbey of us all, you know, but yeah. But the, these, these people are, have, these people have people. worked these hard and people. they've been yeah. rewarded, yeah. you know, whether mm. you, what, whatever you think of the system that rewards them and whether knighthoods and damehoods should even exist. Mm -hmm. I would not say no if someone wanted to knight me for services to podcasting. I Absolutely. <laughs> I, would, I would consider it. I would be conflicted, of course, but would I would you know? ultimately take it. Of course yeah, you would. Of course I would. It gets you discount and curries. My granda turned one down. What? What did she turn down? I think it was an OBE. No way! I ain't not taking anything from those fucking Protestants. Is that what he said? Uh, no, he was, he was a very polite man. Well, he did actually end up getting an award from the Vatican, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> he put the ICANN and Vatican. What did he win? I don't know what it's called, but it's like a medal from the Pope. Was it the Golden Cleric? <laughs> <laughs> well, he wasn't a cleric, obviously, what with being a grandfather. But... Um, <laughs> I mean, okay. It was equivalent in stature to <laughs> right. that, I think. He had All to right. go to Rome and everything. Okay. Well, that's good. Well, went in Rome. Yes. Yeah, go and meet the Pope and get, yeah. like, given a medal thing. All right. Well, this has been a fun little detour, hasn't it? <laughs> I mean, has it? I can't I help know. thinking I that we've just bored the shit out of everyone listening for 20 we minutes. Possibly but. have. Uh, this is why I will uh, deploy the editing <laughs> button. Good. Uh, for that. Just hope I don't get distracted finishing those effects for She Hulk. Oh, my God. In fact, should we talk about that now? Because it's time yeah. for the movie news section. If you want to have your question read out in the Empire Podcast, get in touch with me on Twitter. I'm at Chris Hewitt. Uh, you can slide into my DMs. You can reply to any of my tweets. You can wait for a panicked shout out now and again. Um, now and again, we will usurp your question if we think we've come up with a better one ourselves. And then we will prove disastrously <laughs> over the, the, the ensuing 15 minutes that our question is, in fact, not better. But anyway, we, we move on. We learn from our mistakes and we rush headlong into the movie and TV news section. And we should talk about the She-Hulk Attorney at Law trailer, which dropped the other day along with a poster. It is the latest or the next to be latest, the latest in line after Miss Marvel finishes its run. It begins on June 8th. And then there's a little break of a couple of weeks. And then we're back in with She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, the latest MCU Disney Plus show, stars the great Tatiana Maslany as Jennifer Walters, who is Bruce Banner's cousin, who in the comic books at least, then receives a blood transfusion from Bruce Banner, uh, and the gamma irradiated blood turns her into a seven-foot-tall Amazonian super-strong being called She-Hulk. But because she's also an attorney at law... She carries on about doing that because unlike the Hulk, she retains, for the most part, she a retains job. her faculties yeah. and a job and, and stuff. And so this is the show. This is the show. This is the first trailer for the show. And it, it's, you know, we, we got to see Tatiana Maslany as Jennifer Walters yeah. on She Hulked. We get to see uh, Bruce Banner, a.k.a. Mark Ruffalo, as the Hulk, uh, her cousin. Uh, we get to see Tim Roth. Tim Roth. Tim Roth. As, Tim Roth loves Ruff uh, as... <laughs> 
as uh, the abomination, as Emil Blonsky, mm. uh, as both himself for the first time in the MCU since 2008, and uh, also the abomination as well. We get to see a brief glimpse of uh, Titania, who is going to be one of the baddies, played by Jamila Jamil. And the trailer looked, for me, sparky, snappy, and tons of fun, but it has been attracting some criticism from mealy-mouthed quarters, if you ask me. I mean, literally from you, Chris. Yeah. Uh, I think, Helen, if you go back and rewind, you listen to the beginning of the podcast, I was actually saying how difficult it is balancing my job mm -hmm. doing this and also the effects. It was a bold move to put me in charge of the effects for She-Hulk, I'll, <laughs> I'll say, but it'll pay off ultimately. No, okay, but on a serious note, like, the effects. Do, do we think that this is just a fundamental problem of a reduced budget for the TV series? Well, this is something people have been, you know, talking about since this show was announced, you know, the, 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 the fact of, you know, her needing so much CG mm. day in, day out, and whether you can get to those Bruce Banner levels on a TV budget, even a Marvel TV budget. I mean, I didn't hate it, and I feel like in context it might work. Maybe, because um, remember, everyone hated on old Stephen Knight, and exactly. he's the best thing that's ever happened on television. So. Stephen Knight. Stephen Grant. I keep call Do you know what? I did this on mm. pilot as well. I keep calling him Stephen Knight who yeah. is from Birmingham, but uh, it's Stephen Grant. Yes. It's Stephen, yes. Grant. Stephen Grant, who is Moon Knight, not Stephen Knight, who Mr. is Moon Grant, Grant which would yes. be weird. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Stephen Grant. Yeah. Stephen yeah. Knight. Sorry. Yeah. I can't tell the difference between my Peaky Blinders and dreams. And dreams. Yeah. Anyway. So, yeah, so I'm hoping, like, in context, this will kind of work maybe better than it seems to in a trailer, because that does happen sometimes. Uh, but it looks fun. I'm really, really glad to see Tatiana Maslany mm -hmm. on screen again, because I think she's a genius. And I think uh, that the scenes between her and uh, Mark Ruffalo's Bruce look look sparky and fun and kind of entertaining. And he's clearly having a ball. So, you know, I'm hoping for the best. I'm also really intrigued to see if we get into the, you know, the the legal implications of superherodom and uh, what exactly your uh, responsibility is. You know, if, let's say, you're defeating a supervillain and you bring down a building, who pays, you know? These are the kind of thorny questions I want to see. Presumably, you get some kind of deal with. vigilante indemnity insurance before you go out and stuff. Well, you better doing... hope you have, because otherwise, you know, you're going to be in big, big trouble. It is true. Oh, yeah. Good luck suing the Hulk. Well, you know, I mean, he lives in the world. He yeah. does live in the world, but he will also punch your face <laughs> clean off. <laughs> okay, that would be a, a danger, yeah. I suppose. But, you yeah. know, he probably wouldn't, because he has to be a good guy. I feel like he would be challenging to incarcerate. Well, yes, they found that in the first Avengers movie, didn't they? Yeah. But look, I'm I'm this is only a trailer. I'm I'm still very hopeful for it and I am kind of intrigued by the combination of law and hulking. As am I. And, and again, it looks fun. Tatiana Maslany is uh, a fantastic actress and uh, I think she could bring something new and unexpected to the MCU and even just calling it a She-Hulk attorney at law. We've heard reports it's more of a sort of bright and breezy comedy mm. than uh, previous Ali uh, McBeal with Gamma Rays. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. It, it does seem uh, is along those lines. But there has been some consternation about the CG and, you know, in some shots it looks okay and some shots it looks pretty good in some shots it looks not so good um, and you know obviously they've got I've got I've got two months to finish it um, <laughs> I'm hoping to get an upgrade on my computer uh, so I, I can do it they, I'll be honest I don't know what I'm doing I feel like they may pull a Sonic if if these were finished effects you've got to think that really for a trailer they would have finished the effects they were showing in the trailer if they are now concerned about the backlash they may 
go through and maybe do another pass and maybe tweak them slightly as they did with Sonic to make him look less like a freak. Mm. Yeah. But we'll be talking more about that when we get to Chippendale Rescue Rangers ha! later in the show. Well, you know, we don't want... Uh, this is the thing we've talked about this in the past. That, uh, you know, the, the, the very fact that Marvel are committing to a, a show with a largely, because it's not always Tatiana Maslany as She-Hulk. Sometimes we'll see her as Jennifer Walters and she can clearly transform back and forth uh, between the two. But the fact that they were committing to a show with not just one, but two fully CG leads seem to indicate that there was a confidence they could do that and, and clearly they they know how to do Hulk by now and they've, they've probably got they probably got just the model stored in the computer I understand this is how it works isn't it Helen you have the model and you just press the button Hulk button and then Hulk appears and abomination button and you press the abomination that is very much not what happens. whereas with She-Hulk it's like you have to create a new button and they haven't maybe just quite wow. got the button right yet so we're hopeful and confident that they will Every word of what you just said mm. is is wrong. So. Mm. But but apart from that, but only by degrees. Yeah. I'm so close to nailing um, it. Yeah, no, really. But no. but otherwise, in, in other th- areas, you know, the, other, this fun, it looks where fun, she, sparky. I mean, yeah. somebody dating in the Marvel universe is not something we've seen very much. Yeah, um, going on dates. I mean, obviously, you've got things like Jane's disastrous date in Thor two. Yes, with Chris O'Dowd. With Chris O'Dowd, but you know, th- there could be some fun bits there. Yeah, and uh, there's nice back and forth between her and Bruce. Uh, I think we will see Ruffalo as Ruffalo in the mm-hmm. show, though they've they've kept him uh, as Hulk in the trailer, uh, mainly because he's he's Banner again in the tag for Shang Chi. So we know that Wong's going to be in this. Yeah. So I wonder if this is somehow taking place before Shang Chi, and it might well, uh, it might play into that uh, somehow. Although Banner also did have his arm in a sling in a at the end of Shang Chi, yeah. and he didn't here. You, if you notice the other Shang Chi. Thing, the cell. Do you see the cell? So in Shang-Chi, when Abomination and Wong are fighting, they portal into a room which has that red barred cell, which is ah. where we see Abomination in the trailer of She-Hulk. So it's so all connected. What is Wong up to? What sort of sources so are pre- some kind of day release? You think? Yeah. It does feel that way, doesn't it? It's mm. very they strange. also seem like chums. Mm. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they but do. I, I like the exchange between uh, Bruce and uh, Jennifer where he goes... You know, the transformations are triggered by fear and anger. And she's like, well, that's pretty much the baseline level for any woman in their normal day. Yeah. yeah. I, I, yeah. I rather like that as well. Uh, Sophie wasn't so fond of it. She thought it was a bit on the nose. Mm. It is on the nose, but I, you, like I mean, you sometimes have to be because otherwise yeah. men don't get it. So uh, I mean, that's fair. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I think that's that's not a bad thing. Um, yeah, I like that. I also like that it's a little bit kinky. That yeah. the guy who goes out on the date with her and gets very excited and carried, carried into the bedroom, off to bed. You know, that's kind of um, that's not something we've seen before. It's not. It's so not. again, like a new a new brave new horizon for the Marvel universe. Mm. It's gonna be gamma everywhere. <laughs> no, why are you? La- why are you? <laughs> Both of you, terrible. That's in my brain now. Oh, that's a good shot. Uh, anything else? Beyond She-Hulk? Yes. Well, I have already referenced this fact, but... Uh, oh, no, we did We did a catch-up. I was about to say, I was about to say uh, Christopher Walken, but we actually did a, an emergency drop-in, didn't we? So we covered Christopher Walken in Dune, didn't we? We did, we, did, we, yeah, we yes. covered a lot of news that uh, broke last week. We did, we covered okay, the fine. Spinal Tap sequel, we covered Christopher Walken being cast as the Emperor in Dune Part 2, uh, we covered... The Guest. S- the Guest, uh, Dan Stevens being cast in Godzilla vs. Kong, mm. and we covered something else. Oh, we covered the thing that had already been talked about, but we forgot to talk about in the show, which is Shuti Gatwa being cast as the... 14th, 14th Doctor, Doctor yeah. in Doctor Who. And then this week there was more casting news for Doctor it Who. It was so exciting. David Tennant is back in the suit and the converse. 
with Catherine Tate back as Donna. Um, and they were shooting literally just down the road in Camden Market this week. So I think they announced it basically over the weekend because they were like, we're never going to keep this yeah, under wraps. Yeah. We we have to announce. But um, he is my favorite doctor and I'm super excited. I have no idea how they've got them back. I have no idea why or where or wherefore. Don't care. Just like him in the coat. I also don't care. So we're on the same page. Okay, you just... No, you don't get to talk about it, Doctor Who. You're, you're wrong and bad and over there and evil. But it is, the, of course, the 60th anniversary coming up, so they tend to do big crossover events with multiple Doctors. Doctor um, Who in the Multiverse of Madness. If you will, yeah. Mm. So, super here for it. Yes, I, I am also like James, and uh, I really don't care about this. Uh, but uh, I know that people are excited about it. Um, I'm very excited to see other people experiencing how it unfolds. Uh, also, Bernard Cribbins is back in the show Yay. as well as name of character Bernard Crippen's plays <laughs> oh good lord um, pray for Michael Sullivan no pray <laughs> the trailer the trailer for the Predator prequel Predator it's franchise entry Pred I guess so next one I don't know what it is but the not uh, in any way going straight to streaming Prey a prequel yes you will. a prequel if you will uh, which lands on the Hulu in the US, doesn't it, in August? So I'm yes. assuming it will come to Star on Disney Plus over here. Yes, a Predacool. A Predacool, if you will. This is Dan Trachtenberg's um, story of predators killing people. Yes, but when, James? When, That's James? The, the, this well, is the important thing. This is the thing. So I'm, I was kind of dancing around that because I don't actually know the year it's set in. What was? What is the year? Give me a. Give me a. It's got Native Americans in it. It's, the predator is hunting Native Americans. But what? When? What's the era? Where is it set? Well, they've. they've I think they've said three hundred years. Three hundred years ago. Okay, fine. ago roughly five something like that. So this is um, a, a tale of a predator, uh, presumably not the same one that that stalks Dutch in Predator, uh, but coming to that. Earth. We don't know that. It could be uh, and 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 engaging in battle with the Comanche people uh, and a particular one young female warrior. So my main issue with this is, is if the Predator wasn't taken down by old painless, and let's be honest, all of the firepower in the world gunned its way, I, you've got to feel like bows and arrows are not going to cut it. Remind me of how much you love Avatar, James. Yeah, but like, not being funny, Jake Sully didn't have to take on a fucking Predator, did he? I mean, it's essentially not far off. I don't know. It. I don't know. A dude or armed with, you know, nukes and all also sorts the Navi are like nine foot massive cat people who could fuck your shit up. So I think you the know the Comanches got... were no slouches either, and the predator isn't that big. He's only seven foot. Yeah, he's quite tall. And this might not be a seven foot predator. We don't know. There might be five foot predators. It's true. This might be like the Ronnie Corbett of predators. But if it is five foot predator, it almost certainly says seven foot on his dating profile. <laughs> oh, for sure, no question about it. But yes, um, uh, our heroine is Naru, who is a fierce and highly skilled warrior, and they are used to also hunting people, so or hunting animals in this case. But you know, they have the skills, is what mm. I'm saying, to take on a predator. The skills that pays the bills, and they know the terrain probably better than the predator does, which was not the case. Also, Dutch pretty region. much does it in with a log. Exactly. So, I guess maybe. This is always the way in American films where it's all about getting rid of technology, which yeah. makes no sense, you know, in Rocky, when he's all like, let me just train by like carrying some logs while the Russian is in the, this high-tech <laughs> lab training. And I'm sorry, have you ever seen American sports? They're not exactly low-tech. So, 
okay, fine, sure, America. You tell yourself the stories you need to. But this is a this is a good this is a good setup for. Predator I enjoyed movie. the trailer. I enjoyed yeah. the trailer. It's quite simple. It's quite short. It's a teaser, not a proper trailer. But it was it was fun. I'm curious to see this film, which has all the likelihood of not being good. But I live in hope that it will be. Why would it not be good? Because there has never been a good Predator film since the first one. That is categorically untrue, it's and you know not, it. Though, is it. Like Predator Two, I enjoy, but it's not good. Predators, I enjoy an awful lot, but it's not good. The Predator, I sorry, didn't sorry, really you enjoy can't just say something good. is I enjoyed it, but it's not good. Oh, no, I can. No, but, no, I absolutely but how? Can. Justify that. Okay, well, so Predator Because both of those films, I, I'm going to shock you here, are good. Mm, the are Predator they? is not good. Yeah, I mean, I will grant you the Predator is, is the worst of the The bunch. Alien vs. Predator movies are horrendous, but Predator 2 yeah. and Predators are well-made, good Pre- films. Predator is, is fine, but it's not, I mean, it's nowhere near the glory that yeah. is Predator. What are you talking about? I mean, the, the Predator is... One of the greatest movies ever made. Fuck it, I'm gonna yeah. say it. I'm gonna, it I'm gonna say no, it. it. Is. I, 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 like, come on. If, if I've ever come home and I've had like a long week and I'm a bit down, you can put on Predator and you will just feel better about everything in the world. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say you find some random person, skin them, and hang their spine from the ceiling. But sure, carry on. Uh, and, and this week it my hot. lawyer, <laughs> my my lawyer advises me to say. Only in the years she comes. No. Oh no. The Helen that makes trophies of men. <laughs> Wow. I mean... I've long suspected. <laughs> <laughs> what, so wait, me and Bed are both serial killers now in this in No, this you're scenario? not a serial killer. Predator's not a serial killer. You're a trophy it, hunter. I'm a, I'm, a bin, I'm a spree killer. Is that what you're saying? Oh, I'm no, a spree he killer. does. The Predator does have a lot of the hallmarks of a serial killer. Well, there's a difference between a serial killer and a spree killer. Okay. But the Predator takes... Uh, the, so a serial killer will take trophies. Like Jeffrey Dahmer took trophies. I mean, not all of them, but yeah. Trophies it's, it's, of yeah. men. Anyway, my point is, I'm not killing and skinning people, but I do enjoy watching That's a pretty Predator. flimsy defense there, Helen. I'd need to see the proof. You can't prove a negative. You have to prove that I actually do uh, kill and skin people. Clearly you've not been to British libel court. That's a different thing. It's a, That's a civil tort. And not <laughs> You're a civil one. tort. <laughs> wow, that was a really bad civil retort. Uh, <laughs> anyway, Predator's great. Predator yeah. 2 is a lot of fun. and uh, I, I, No, it, they are good. They're good. You can't just sit there and go, I enjoyed something, but it's bad. I, I enjoy can, many, many bad things. We enjoy, we enjoy a lot of things that are objectively yeah. not yeah. great. It's, no, it's no a, I'm going to bat for Predator 2 and I'm going to go to bat for uh, for Predators. Less so the Predator. You, you shouldn't this, use a bat on a Predator. Yeah. It's not, <laughs> not going to do the job. Uh, but no. he would understand that I'm quite a weakling, so he would he would spare me. Right. Yes, it Did, went 100%. No matter what weapons you had on you, the Predator would just look at you and just shake its head and walk away. Yeah. This one's mm. not worth the kill. Yeah. I'm not going to get any points didn't for this. Kill him he's unarmed. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't kill him because he's unarmed. No sport. He didn't kill you because you were a podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see that um, Reacher has joined Fast 10? Yes. Oh, my no. God. Alan what? Richardson. No. Yes, Alan that's Richardson. absolutely true. Yes. Yeah. Richardson said something and it was yes to Vin Diesel. Ah, oh, come on. Yes, I'm excited about this. I had not seen that. That is very, very good. I think Dan Trachtenberg is a very good director, and I think Prey has every chance of being yes. a very good Tempo film. Oh, yeah, great. Park your really cynicism it. to one super side. For that. Every day is Christmas Eve, especially when a predator is involved. But uh, like Predator could be better than Santa. Prey could be better than Santa predators. could be a predator. No, I don't mean in, in the dodgy sense. I mean no. that. Think about it, Santa. No, Predator. He doesn't come both. at a hot time of year. Both That's are true. Both are invi- vis- silent, invisible, deadly. Only in the coldest years he comes. <laughs> the, the, the demon who brings trophies <laughs> yes. to, to kids, to men. Oh yes. my God! Women. Is Santa a predator? No. Right in. Let us know what you think. And Alan Richardson in Fast Ten is excellent. Although I hope this doesn't get in the way of him making every Reacher book. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm with you. He's he's got a, I enjoyed quite, quite a, a few great to, deal. to go through. But he's already they've already greenlit season two of that, right? So that's presumably have, yeah. so presumably the scheduling works out, and he's now on with uh, Louis Leterrier, of course, directing. Um, <gasps> he must be the bad guy they were struggling to cast. Maybe, mayhap. Is John Cena in this one? Uh, n- I don't believe I've read his name on the list. It's a very long list, though. So honestly, I got bored and gave up halfway through. Uh, but no, look. I, Did you I'm, listen to the audiobook, just detailing <laughs> the, the names of the people who are working on the fast I'm intrigued 10. to find how far he has to stand from the camera to be the same height as Vin Diesel. <laughs> <laughs> back a bit. Okay, Alan, just run back a little bit. A bit further now, Alan. Like, just duck over the horizon, Alan. Yep, that's good. Thank you very much. That's wild. Like, they were just going, we need more muscles. <laughs> yeah. Who could we possibly get? I think this movie's going to end with people throwing cars at each other. It, it it makes sense. Oh, do you remember when Vin Diesel and Jason Statham played chicken in their cars and neither of them understood <laughs> the rules of chicken? Do you remember that? Oh. Do you remember when the, the Statham was an effective bad guy and then they chickened out and that? I made him a goodie, yeah. I know. Mm. Mm. Hey, he's fun. Oh, he's we, fun. We like that card show, but yeah. yeah. Uh, <sighs> anyway, that's great news. Well yeah. done. Well done, everybody. Super good news. Super good news. Um, Tom Blythe has been cast in the Hunger Games prequel as the young Coriolanus Snow. So he's the younger version of the Donald Sutherland character. Uh-huh. Um, not. I'm not convinced that we need no. a, a film about that character, to be honest, but I do think that he's a good actor. It feels a little bit to me like they may have missed the window on that maybe it's, I'm wrong about that but it feels to me like like Hunger Games uh, you don't really hear it being spoken about maybe because the last couple of films were disappointing the last couple of films were not great and, and also I think they made some strange choices in the last couple of books which led to the last couple of films not being so good but um, I mean look we always hope for the best and and maybe there's a great story here maybe having a sort of anti-hero going into those games will be an interesting spin on it so um, Tom Blythe we're going to talk about him later because he's in Benediction which is out this week um, but in this case uh, Snow is hoping to play mentor in the Hunger Games which are a fairly new uh, thing at this point um, but is chosen to help the tribute from District 12, Lucy Gray Baird. And she becomes a defiant sort of Katniss figure and right. stuns the whole of Pan Am. So, so there's going to be an interesting potential dynamic there, I would guess, between his ambition and her presumable idealism, which might be which might be a cool dynamic to play, although presumably it ends badly for her, given that he's <laughs> the president when we meet him much, 60 years later. Yes, um, so that's going to be good. Um, also, speaking of good news, uh, oh. Pixar has Ooh. announced a new film for 2023, Ooh. and it is called Elemental. So the idea is that fire, water, land, and air live together in a city, like different elements, and a fiery young woman and a go-with-the-flow guy, who's presumably a watery guy, discover how much they have in common. No idea what that means. No idea how they're going to approach it, but it sounds like they're back in their sort of conceptual, inside outy sort of a world, and that's mm-hmm. always fun for me. So uh, that one go. is coming from director Peter Sohn, who did The Good Dinosaur. Um, and fingers crossed that'll be, you know, an on-form Pixar. That's exciting. Very, very exciting indeed. Shall we talk about Star Wars a little bit? Always. <laughs> so Vanity Fair had a, a giant Star Wars TV article uh, this week, which is Dude. very much worth a, a read. Um, not I hesitate to obviously 
promote the conversation, but it is a very good piece. And um, in that, Kathleen Kennedy talks about the future of Star Wars on the big screen. She says that the likely first one out the gate is the Taika Waititi film that he's done with uh, Christy Wilson Cairns. And then Rogue Squadron, the Paddy Jenkins film, is likely to be still on the board after that. But at the moment, there's no movement nor likely to be in the near future for Ryan Johnson's planned trilogy because he's too busy mm. with Knives is Outs, is, hmm. um, which are taking him away. And there's also no word on the um, Kevin Feige Star Wars happening anytime soon. But it was interesting. One of the things that kind of grabbed most of film Twitter's attention was the fact that um, Kennedy said, you know, we learned a lot from Solo. Um, it seems abundantly clear that you can't you know, sort of recast the iconic characters, which people took as a diss on Alden Ehrenreich, who's very good in that film. The problem for me with that film is nobody needed it. Nobody wanted it. Nobody was hyped for it. He was very good, but that doesn't take away from the fact that nobody needed Han Solo's backstory. Um, and I think, but I think it's good that they've learned from that and they've realized, okay, we need to look in different directions, new directions for our Star Wars content. So presumably that's a good thing. Yeah. I think one of the good things about Rogue One, though, was that it explored a, a sort of un, hitherto unexplored corner of the Star Wars universe and was filling in the blanks, whereas yeah. Solo... Wasn't. It, well, it filled in the blanks, obviously, but it filled in blanks that I don't think needed to that be filled need in. And be not, filled. Not, exactly. that, not that yeah. Rogue One I mean, needed to be filled in. I, I, I often yeah. say this, no film is, is truly necessary, but... But it Rogue isn't, One kind of made a space for it itself. A space between kind of, spaces. Indeed. And that kind of worked. And that's why I think, you know, we're seeing um, obviously Andor coming out later this year, which uh, sounds from the same article is going to be about kind of the displaced persons by the Empire and how that how the Empire's rise has sort of created a refugee yeah. situation. And that's an intriguing background to me for Star Wars. That feels like a very Star Warsy thing, that there would be desperate people trying to find a home that feels right for Star Wars, but it also feels like something we haven't seen a million times. So I'm really, I'm really intrigued to see what they do there. Actually, I think it reflects well in them that they're, they're taking a pause and taking a bit of a creative reset and yeah. they're not just trying to cram the multiplexes with Star Wars product because that's what they were doing and I think it led to diminished quality. It was interesting, saying. Kathy Kennedy saying, which we commented on the Alden Ehrenreich, casting in, in Solo. Mm. Like that, I thought that was an interesting concession that in retrospect it was a bad idea. Not him personally, but casting young actors to play established characters was a misstep. I yeah. just think that's a poison chalice. Yeah, yeah it is. I, yeah. I, I, you know, I think that the more I hear people say Sebastian Sands should play a young Luke Skywalker, the more I can see it because I think that's a really good fit. Mm. Uh, I don't think that that Mark Hamill performance is unrepeatable. I think Harrison Ford's performance is unrepeatable. Yeah. I don't think you can get anywhere close to the the, the sheer swagger and charisma and, and and star power and sex appeal and everything that he had as Han Solo. I just don't think you can get close to that and they probably shouldn't have tried. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Solo has had a bit of a renaissance over the last few years critically and, and reputationally. So that um, this was a bit of a, a blow for the make Solo 2 happen. Hashtaggers, sadly. <laughs> I mean, you know, but honestly, just make Hail Caesar to happen instead. It's a far Would better Alden Ehrenreich role. That it were so simple. <laughs> it's com Would that it's it were complicated. So simple. Uh, one last thing to talk about, and this will lead us nicely into this week's guest, uh, is the Judd Apatow produced romantic comedy Bros, which uh, is written by, co written by, and stars Billy Eichner and is directed by Nicholas Stoller. Uh, and the, uh, I thought, very, very good trailer debuted yesterday. Uh, and Bros has a, a, a twist that is unique to a mainstream rom-com 
And it's ridiculous that this should be something that is newsworthy in 2022, but it is the uh, it is a rom-com centered around two guys, two gay guys, uh, or Billy Eigner's character who's gay, and pretty much everyone who's in front of the camera in this movie is a member of the LGBTQ plus community, and pretty much everyone behind the camera is also gay, which I thought was, which, which is really cool and interesting, And but the trailer looks fun. Yeah, it looks really, really good fun. I can't wait to see it. He's he's hilarious. It looks raunchy and filled with great gags, uh, and that will be out later in the year, I think in August, to be precise. Uh, but that film is produced by Judd Apatow, who just happens to be this week's guest. So in last week's show, I said that we would have either Miles Teller or Glenn Powell from Top Gun Maverick. Uh, Glenn Powell was sadly unavailable this week, uh, so we're pushing Miles Teller back into next week's show. So... No Glenn Powell this week, but he is fantastic in Top Gun Maverick as Hangman. Uh, but that means we have one guest and one guest only, and that is Judd Apatow, who is a very busy boy recently. Uh, he has been directing The Bubble mm-hmm. for Netflix, but he's also been directing documentaries as well. So he directed Gary Shatling's Send Diaries. He's a student of comedy. He's a scholar of comedy. He was a stand-up, started out as a stand-up himself, started out interviewing uh, comedians actually when he was 15 or so um, just blagging interviews with some of the biggest names in the business uh, and this has all been grist for the mill that's led him towards his latest documentary which is a two part documentary uh, which is called George Carlin's American Dream and it is a deep dive into the life and career of George Carlin who is one of the great American stand-ups uh, and this is a really fascinating documentary it's going to be on Sky and now for people who don't subscribe to Sky, uh, starting from the 22nd of May. And if you don't know George Carlin or his work necessarily, as I didn't really, despite some of the appearances he's made in films like like Dogma, uh, then this is a great introduction to a man whose routine about the seven dirty words you can say on television or indeed podcasts uh, <laughs> is seminal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a really, really great documentary. And I had the good pleasure of sitting down with uh, Judd Apatow, uh, on Zoom just last week and we had a big old natter about George Carlin and a great many other things besides. Do please enjoy. We are delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by the co-director of George Carlin's American Dream, Mr. Judd Apatow. How are the, the devil are you, sir? I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, I have to say there's a, there's a moment in this documentary where you have a clip from a George Carlin routine where he talks about that moment when you accidentally spit on someone and you let loose a globule of spit and you watch it arc through the air and land on someone. And the reason (laughs) I bring this up is because the last time that happened with me, I was interviewing your wife. And (laughs) I'm glad that happened. (laughs) You know, I remember I I I went, I, I was on the set of the cable guy and I watched Leslie kiss Matthew Broderick at the very end of the movie. They're by the helicopter. And then in dailies, I watched it on a big screen. And as their lips separated, there was a giant string bridge of spit <laughs> that has haunted me my whole life. <laughs> That's good. We're, we're both relatively speaking in the same boat then. Exactly. Uh, the reason I bring it up is, have you ever had an embarrassing moment like that in, a, in, a, in an interview? Has something like that ever happened to you? I am always spitting and I'll, I'll see things fly out of my mouth onto people's hands. And then like a minute later, you see them wipe their hand. And you're like, ah, they noticed. 
but that happens to me. People are spitting on me all the time. So yes, yes I'm sure I've done every every version of of all of it. Absolutely. There there are so many amazing routines in this uh, this documentary, this two part documentary, uh, George Carlin's American Dream. Uh, but that is one that I felt a particular connection to. So I just had to bring it up at the at the beginning. But um, the obvious question is, we spoke very briefly before we, we uh, before I pressed record here uh, about how George Carlin's a bit a bit of a gap in my comedic knowledge uh, you know growing up in in Britain uh, we had we had a comedian watching the documentary he reminded me of a guy called Dave Allen do you know Dave Allen no I don't okay well here you go he, uh, there, this is my recommendation to you after this you can check out the work of, of Dave Allen they both spoke truth to power they were both uh, annoyed with uh, the hypocrisies of Lowe's in power. Uh, and they both had a kind of a, a love of the, of the absurd as well. So Dave Allen is an Irish stand-up comedian, but his big shtick was that he did all his stuff sitting down. Very avuncular guy, but check him out. He's really, really great. Uh, but we had Dave Allen over here. So you had George Carlin. Was George Carlin one of your comedy heroes growing up? Was he someone you gravitated towards? You know, he was. I... I remember being a little kid, 10, 11 years old, having AM FM and class clown, these records he made. And I look back at it now and I remembered sitting in my room and, you know, back then we had attention spans. So as a kid, (laughs) you might sit in your room and listen to the record over and over again and really live it. Like, like you're in that crowd that's listening to him on the album. And I thought about everything he was saying. And so when he talked about religion and his questions about what he was learning as a, as a kid at, at school, and, and then he had these bits breaking down what a class clown was mm-hmm. and what their job was. And as, a, as someone who aspired to be funny, <laughs> I felt like he must have really programmed me uh, about how to look at things, how to break them down, how to find humor in them. He was always looking for bullshit. He, he he attacked systems and hypocrisies. And I think at nine or 10 years old, you've never thought that way before. You, mm. you, you have some instinct to rebel and you're mad at your teachers because they're forcing you to do something you don't want to do. But that real systematic breaking down of how the world works probably started with him because I listened to other comedians. You know, Bill Cosby was someone we listened to a lot as a kid, but those were stories about childhood and your relationship with your parents and your friends. George, George Carlin was questioning everything. And I never knew we were supposed to do that. <laughs> that you could even do that, <laughs> that you're allowed to do that sort of stuff. Um, it's interesting because um, I have, I have here uh, a copy of sick in the head, which is obviously your, your collection of interviews with, with comedy legends. And you mentioned George Carlin a bunch of times in your introduction to that book. But he is notably not one of the interviewees. Did you ever get to sit down with him? I did. This is the heartbreaking thing. I interviewed him for Canadian television in 1990 or 91, and no one could find the video of it. Yo, you're fucking kidding. It just does not exist. And I, for years, was trying to locate it. They had a comedy festival in Toronto, uh, and I interviewed Gilbert Gottfried, oh also gone. Yeah. And Catherine O'Hara, <laughs> Richard Lewis, I did all these interviews and they're all gone. 
Oh brutal. my god! Presumably, you put the uh, the ask out on social media. Yes, I, I I did, and it just did not come back. Now I'm sure it was a bad interview. I don't think I did a good job. I'm sure he was much more eloquent with other people, but. Uh, and maybe it's better to not see my dumb mug in the movie, but <laughs> I definitely did have that moment. And when I was young, I worked for the American version of Comic Relief, and my job was to get all the posters signed at the charity event. And so I did get to sit with him for a few minutes while he signed 50 posters. And I would go see him at comedy clubs when he was working out his new sets. And it was always remarkable to watch him prep because it was all memorization. He He did it like a play. He didn't riff on stage. He didn't want to talk to the crowd. He did it like a one man show. And there was so much wordplay that it was very difficult for him to memorize. Sometimes he would list 80, 100 words and Orwellian language and break it down. And you'd see him on the side of the stage just going through these cards like, how am I going to remember this? <laughs> but it's wild because there's there's a moment in the documentary where you talk about and in fact, you show clips of Danny Kay. Then there's a there's a an explanation of how verbally dexterous Danny Kay was, and it just strikes me that and that was something George Carlin wanted to aspire to. He wanted to be Danny Kay essentially, which is which is wild. Uh, but that that really hits home in the famous seven dirty words speech because. I don't think I could reel it off the way that he does. You know, shit, piss, fuck, cunt, cocksucker, motherfucker, and tits. Yes. That was a decent effort, but it wasn't anywhere close to what George does. And the way and he it just musical. reels it off. It, but he makes it, he makes it to the music. There's, there's, so the, the, there's still the influence of Danny Kaye living in the bones of George Carlin years later. Well, I mean, not even knowing the bit or the words, you, you could do an impression of the music of George Carlin. Because he would like lift, he like he would talk about say all these words about the military, and he would list them like all the these phrases they've made to make things seem less murderous. But it was always that thing like yeah, like like, and he he had this music, and you know he started as a DJ, yeah, and he 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 loved you know those sounds, and I think a lot of it was his version of Danny Kay. As a stand-up. <laughs> so, you, so you had these experiences with him. Uh, obviously, you're a huge comedy fan. You're a huge comedy scholar as well. Uh, at what point, though, did you decide to make this this documentary? I was asked by HBO if I was interested in doing it uh, before the pandemic. I, I, I directed it with my friend Michael Bonfiglio, who mm-hmm. produced the Gary Shandling documentary. And we made some documentaries about the Avett brothers and uh, two members of the New York Mets Dwight Gooden and Dallas Strawberry for 30 for 30. And we spent, we, we worked on it the entire pandemic. So it was nice to have something to think about. It was also <laughs> nice to have something to think about that was like in the past during a really rough <laughs> moment. And our editor, Joe Beshenkoski, who did the John Belushi documentary and the Shandling documentary, he, he's a real genius. And you, you need someone like him because in addition to being an incredible artist, he also remembers everything. So if you say, did George have any bits about boogers? He'd be like, well, on the third album, the fourth cut, there's a bit. You know, he <laughs> has this memory that is incredible. But I, I think that he's such an essential part of our of our creative process because he's the one left with millions of feet of footage. And, <laughs> and, and he's roughing out and showing us ways to 
tell this story and uh, it, it, you know it is pretty remarkable what what he's done with us uh, yeah it's 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 incredible um, and it's a four-hour documentary essentially this is it's in two parts it's um i think slightly shorter than the gary shantling doc you did yes. slightly yeah. shorter but it's still it's still an exhaustive uh, and chronological troll through carlin's life and career was that the the only way to approach it in in your in your view you know we met with kelly carlin his daughter and she was just like you got to do something innovative here. So for the first run of it, we were like, how do you be innovative with this? Do you do it like a big acid trip? I mean, do you move <laughs> forward and backwards in time? And then we at some point realized, well, there's two parts to this story, which is the beginning till it, he had to go in front of the Supreme Court of the United States mm-hmm. uh, in this case where they played the dirty words bit on the radio during the day. And they had this debate about whether or not you could do that in America and ultimately decided that you couldn't and that there needed to be hours during the day that were safe for children. And that was all because of them playing this routine. So uh, that's how we got to like nighttime as a place for edgier material. The watershed. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and then, then the second half would be, you know, a lot of his troubles with addiction and his marriage and then him becoming a much darker comedian uh, for the rest of his life when he saw Sam Kinison and realized that he was getting soft and he saw Kinison and thought, I don't want to be like the corny guy next to him. And he decided to really try to make a, an effort to be much better and deeper and more thoughtful than he had been. And and that's not what most people are able to do. You know, most people, their best work is reasonably early in their career and then they slowly peter out. There's not that many people that just decide, you know, when they're, you know, 50 years old, okay, now I'm really going to do it. And it's pretty inspiring. It was, yeah, and uh, and I think it works as well. Again, for someone like me, who you know, I'm aware of George Carlin. I was aware of the Seven Dirty Words routine. You know, I'd, I'd seen a lot of the stuff he had done in, in movies, but I wasn't particularly aware of him as a comedian. I wasn't particularly aware of how he was rhythmically, how he was as a as a as a joke teller. Even if you want to boil it down to that, and so it's really fascinating that you you present it in that way because you really get to know him. So by the end, when obviously he passes away, it really hits home. It's, it's a it's a it's it, it's a big emotional punch at the end. Well, I, I like to make these documentaries for people who, who maybe don't know anything about the person. They've, they've, they have no idea who they are, or what they've done, uh, because I do think that. For certain artists, these documentaries are the way in. And so in 10 years, when people don't really know certain people like Gary Shandling or George Carlin, if you watched this, the next step would be to get the albums to watch yeah. the full concerts to watch the Larry Sanders show or the movies. And that's how I like to watch documentaries. I, I, I want the whole story. And I, I love the two part thing. I remember seeing the Bob Dylan documentary and that was a real inspiration for me. That one uh, and the George Harrison documentary, both yeah. of which were made by Martin Scorsese. I thought, yeah, that's how much time you need to cover people who've lived full lives. You, you need two two part, uh, I mean, two two hour sections and i have a lot of patience for that and so much happened i mean he did stand up over 50 years pretty much did you have anything that was illuminated by the interviewees for example anything that you maybe hadn't been thinking of but you've got this incredible 
coterie of of comedians, you know, Jerry Seinfeld and Patton Oswalt and Chris Rock, did they say anything that that you hadn't been thinking of necessarily? Well, I think it was interesting to see how many people he inspired and and how mm. because people really looked up to him because he really was, you know, a writer. And, you know, if there's one thing you can say about comedians is they're lazy as hell. You know, most comedians, you know, sleep all day and go to the mall and then go to the club. And, you know, people generally aren't writing enough. And I think George Carlin was a real beacon for people of, oh, this is a job. you got to get your ass in the chair and write. And yes, there are people who write on stage and they have their ways of doing it. But I think people saw his output that he would do a special every other year. And he was the first person that had a lot of material because, you know, in the old days, some people would do the same set their entire lives. Yeah. They had one set. You know, Don Rickles didn't write new jokes. <laughs> he did that set his entire life and he would improvise with the crowd. <laughs> but that was the set. And George Carlin, you know, was one of the few people, you know, Cosby had a lot of records. You know, Bob Newhart put out some records, but it seemed like Carlin was really cranking out hours. Mm. And if you look at modern comedy, that's what everybody's doing now. Everybody thinks that they write a set, tour it, write the next set like a band putting yeah. out an album. Yeah, it's really interesting. And also, there's a really interesting uh, moment in the film where Stephen Colbert, who clearly worships the guy, you know, he's the, he's the one in the documentary who calls him the Beatles of comedy, has a moment towards the end when, when Carlin gets really fucking dark and Colbert has a problem with that. He, and yeah. I, thought, I thought it was really interesting that you kept that in, those, those moments of, of, of criticism almost, you know, that you, you know. Well, he said, I'm out. It's yeah. too dark. I'm out. But what's funny about that is if you look at the, the, the full hours that he's talking about, yeah, there were certain routines that were so dark where he's literally rooting on everyone to die. <laughs> you know, and he has a few bits like that where he thought, I'm just going to I'm just going to watch the freak show. And he's like, and when you're in America, you're in the front row. That's what he said. <laughs> you know, it's all a freak show in America. You're in the front row. And but there were moments in those specials that weren't as dark, but were pretty incredible mm. and brilliant. So when he said that, I thought, well, you missed a lot of good stuff. You know, he <laughs> You know, he turned you off with one song, but there was another song that you would love. Uh, but I certainly understood it because I remember when he made those records and he had a new attitude, especially in the last couple, which was giving up. Yeah. And I think people debated, did he really give up or was he just trying to needle you by having this joke stance of, I don't care, let the world burn. I'm yeah. just going to observe, observe it. And I always felt like it was a way for him to say, wake up and maybe I'm older now and it's never going to get fixed in my lifetime, but this is your world and your environment. You need to get involved and, and fix it. But the way he communicated that was, ah, we fucked it all up. I hope we all die. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> which is, which is interesting. I mean, I, I did watch the end of the documentary thinking, what would he be like now? What would he have made of the, of the state of the world, the way, the way things are now? The way I, 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 I had the same thoughts about Bill Hicks. What would Bill Hicks' routines be like now? What sort of person would he be now? Well, this is what he warned about a long time ago. Yeah. I mean, he had all these bits about big pharma, how they don't want you to smoke pot, but they'll sell you 
speed in the form of diet pills. <laughs> and, you know, he always thought that corporate interests were controlling the government and life and that the corporate interests want us all to fight so that they could run away with all the money. And when you see the amount of new billionaires around the world and, you know, pretty soon we'll have a trillionaire and, you know, <laughs> something's <crossed>. going <laughs> yeah, exactly. Something's going wrong, right? Like yeah. the system, he thought the system was gamed and that they want people to be just dumb enough to work the machines and not smart enough to question everything. And I think he would not be surprised by how bad it's gotten, but also disappointed that, you know, he warned people for decades about it and people are tolerating way too much. I love this detour in your career. I mean, how, how did you balance this with the bubble? I, uh, you know, I think I just lost my mind for a few years because I, <laughs> I, I thought did. during the pandemic, I had lots of free time and what a great way to rest for a while. And then when the pandemic ended and they said, OK, now you need to do press for the bubble on Netflix, the George Carlin documentary and your book, Sicker in the Head, interviews with comedians, <laughs> I realized, oh, I guess I'm a workaholic. I mean, I couldn't have been resting that whole time. So uh, documentaries are great because it's a very long, slow process and you're working with all this footage and, and with an amazing editor and you're you're shaping slowly and chiming in slowly and mm. and, and it, it just evolves. You, you know, with the bubble, we just thought. Let's be the ones of the balls to try to make a big comedy out of the nightmare <laughs> of reality right now. And let's just do it like a Saturday Night Live sketch. Let's just get in a hotel with our favorite funny people and be really honest about this nervous breakdown that we're all having and it was really the most fun and i'm so glad that it that it's out there and i i'm also excited that i think in five years or ten years people will go oh they were the only people who did it <laughs> you know, nobody, nobody captured the nightmare of what this was and yeah. what, what it was psychologically and being in lockdowns and being uh in a state of purgatory and 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 so the movie, you know, is meant to be an expression of what happens when we have a lot of time to think and our bosses want us to keep working, even though it doesn't make sense to try to work right now. And we want to keep our egos going and we want to feel important, but the world has literally disappeared. And yeah. I, I, I'm really proud to have gotten it down. You know, I feel like it's very accurate in ways that people don't quite understand to show business and the attitudes of, <laughs> of, of all the players. <laughs> you got to keep hammering away at the pedals, because if we don't keep hammering away at the pedals, the world won't have its first trillionaire soon. So we, we got to keep exactly. doing it. We got to keep we doing gotta it. We got to get a trillionaire. I'm so we disappointed <laughs> we don't have it yet. <laughs> Maybe it's happened during this interview. I'm, I'm yeah. waiting for a, an update to come on my screen. Uh, Judd, well, I've got to let you go. Uh, it's a pleasure as always. Uh, so I will say the two, two things. One, Dave Allen, look him up. He is fantastic. Great, great comedian, and do apologize to Leslie. Uh, she will, she may remember it because she watched in horror as my <laughs> spittle arced towards her, and it was, it was a yeah. terrible moment for everybody concerned. <laughs> we're, we're healing. We're healing. We're, we're, we're getting past it. We're getting past it. Uh, Judd Apatow, always a pleasure. Thanks so much indeed. Thank you. Okay, so that was Judd Apatow. George Carlin's American Dream is on Sky and Now TV from the twenty second of May. 
onwards. Well worth it. Check it out, folks. Check it out. Anyway, now it's time for the reviews section of the show, in which we talk about the films that you can see on your multiplex or indeed your sofaplex this weekend. And we're going to start with a new addition to Disney+. Plus. It's the unpromisingly titled Chippendale Rescue Rangers, which is a live-action animation hybrid, just like She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, uh, that may not sound too enticing until you realize who's behind it. Isn't that right, Hells Bells? Yes, because this comes to us from the Lonely Island crew, including uh, director here, Akiva Schaefer, and star Andy Samberg. And um, Andy Samberg uh, voices Dale, and uh, John Mulaney voices his partner, Chip. Uh, And they basically, this is a kind of uh, Roger Rabbit-style conceit. So the idea here is that cartoon characters live among us in the real world, as do Muppets, as do claymation characters. This is a world where everybody lives alongside each other. And Chip and Dale were real people who starred in a show in the 90s named after them. Okay. But then they fell out, their stars have fallen, um, and uh, they are they are struggling maybe in, in the current era. So Dale has had the 3D surgery and has become... 3Dified and sort of modernized. Uh, Chip has not. He's kept it pure. But they're brought back together when one of their old crew, voiced by Eric Banner, disappears and they have to find out what's happened to him. And that takes them down, not the literal rabbit hole, but, you know, close to it, into an underworld, a seedy underworld of um, bootleg DVDs and uh, kidnapped cartoon characters. This film made me like hoot with laughter way more than I expected. I, I'd seen the, the trailer. I thought the trailer was very, very funny. I was expecting good things. I love John Mulaney and Andy, Andy Samberg. I just think they're two of the greatest comedy geniuses of, of our time. And they're both very good at voice work as well. Obviously, we saw with Spider-Ham in Mulaney's case. But um, but the sheer lengths that this this goes to, there is a Sonic the Hedgehog joke in this that, that slayed me. The, the Disney lawyers must have been working overtime to get everybody involved in this film into this film because it's not just characters owned by Disney, although obviously they feature heavily. And you have so many clever jokes. There is a Seth Rogen character who plays a sort of mid-naughties uh, CG character in the Uncanny Valley, sort of Beowulf style, but he's a dwarf. Um, he is just hilarious. He's He's absolutely spot-on kind of um, satire of that whole era of of cartoons and of animation. But everything, there's just, there's regular, regular giggles. There is a still during the credits that made me burst out laughing. You know, this is really, really inspired stuff. I mean, look, the, the, the plot is just the plot. It's, oh no, somebody's been kidnapped, now we have to go rescue him. You know, standard mm. kind of stuff. But mm. it's everything else that's happening in the frame at all times that that lifts this to another level. It's not quite Who Framed Roger Rabbit, but it is way, way closer than I expected it. To wow, be. that's high praise indeed. Seriously, yeah, because I, uh, I, I, when I heard there was a Chippendale movie, I, I rolled my eyes and moved on with my life. Mm-hmm. I didn't really realize who was behind it. So this is this is exciting. Yeah, it's really, it's very much their sense of humor. And yeah. like I say, some of the jokes in this you cannot believe that a Disney film has made. Really okay, uh, I'm going to leave now and start watching this movie. <laughs> Uh, you guys talk about the rest of the films. Um, but yeah, you're not the only one who was raving about this. Nick uh, was raving about this also. Uh, and so I just haven't had time to see it. I'm, I'm, I, I apologize. My apologies to uh, Akiva Schaefer and Andy Sandberg and indeed Chip and Dale. Yeah, quite but right. It sounds great. Four stars. Four stars. We're going four stars. It, it 
sounds to me like it's a little bit like the surprise Teen Titans go to the movies was. It, oh. Yeah, honestly, that, that kind of level of funny and, and yeah. that kind of level of, of crazy in-jokes. I mean, if you know anything about you know, animation of the last 30 years, you're going to enjoy a lot of this. I haven't even mentioned, by the way, like J.K. Simmons voices a role. Rachel Bloom is in there. Keegan-Michael Key is in there for like 10 seconds or less. Dennis Haysbert is in there. Um, it's And Kiki Lane is an actual human character in there as well. So it's just a great, great lineup of people. But um, yeah, oh, I had such a good, bla- I had such a good time. It's a blast. Four stars, four stars for Chippendale. Rescue Rangers. Rescue Rangers. There you go. Tight little film is not important. What is important is that we gave it four stars. Four uh, reasons. F- four reasons. Of funniness, James. I know you don't understand humour, but the hey, rest of us hey, like it. Hey, I watched Teen Titans go to the movies on your recommendation, the two of you, and I will never forgive you for it. it Why would you it ever watch great. a comedy? Yeah, we told you it was funny. That should have been a reason for you not to watch it. Yeah. That film's incredible. It's got at least eight world-class gags, including one of the best last lines of the last 30 years. <laughs> it uh, really does. <laughs> uh, anywho, next up is a film that is less funny. It is Benediction. Which is the what? It is a lot. It is, less funny. It's a lot less funny, uh, but it doesn't mean it's le- it's less good. Oh, and indeed. in fact, it's made by one of uh, our greatest filmmakers, Terence Davies. Yes, it is written and directed by. Um, uh, you know him, of course, from films like The House of Mirth and Distant Voices. Um, and I think he's one of the best directors with uh, classical music. There's some, if you like, needle drops of classical music in this film that are absolutely heartbreakingly brilliant. But it is the story of Siegfried Sassoon, um, played by Jack Loudon as a young man and Peter Capaldi uh, in some sort of flashes forward through his life. And he was, of course, one of the great war poets of World War I. So this is looking at his experiences, not so much in the trenches. We're talking, you know, in hospital when he gets back from war, in his attempts to uh, conscientiously object uh, to the conduct of the war, not to war as a, as, a, as a whole principle, but just the way that he sees lives being wasted and the way that he sees soldiers being unnecessarily sacrificed for no good reason. So we deal with a lot of that side of his life, of course, but we also deal with his struggles um, as a gay man in in early 20th century Britain, um, as someone who you know has these relationships with others in his artistic set but who has to, you know, hide those from the world at large, who has to uh, balance that side of his life with maintaining maybe some kind of outward respectability at times. Um, He has at one point, he he marries and has a family, but clearly as his life goes on, becomes, I think, a a little embittered and a little bit uh, damaged and and hurt by everything that he's been through. So I think Mm. you, you get to see a lot of that relationship drama play out as well as just you know what you would expect of this film which is the kind of the war poetry his relationship with Wilfred Owen who he also knew of course one of the other great war poets and yeah it it tries to give you an overview I I find some of the time hopping backwards and forwards a little unhelpful I was much more invested in in Jack Loudon's young Siegfried than I was in Peter Capaldi's older man I just think he's one of the great actors Jack not to diss Capaldi not to diss Capaldi I think he's he's, he's great but but um, Jack Loudon, I think, is one of the best actors around at the moment. I was. This is the first film where I have immediately recognised him. <laughs> I, I tend to have facial blindness for him, and just he disappears so much into his characters. Uh, this is not to say he didn't disappear into this one, but just that mm. I, I, he looked like himself a bit more than than he sometimes does. But um, but yeah, I think he's I think he's extraordinary in it. And you've got an mm. incredible supporting cast. You've got people like Simon Russell Beale, Julian Sands, Jeremy Irving's very good in this as Ivor Novello, who's kind of well, he's he's a cad. 
frankly, in this. Mm. Um, but but a really good supporting cast. And uh, we mentioned him earlier, but Tom Blythe is in mm-hmm. this as well. Yes. Yeah, uh, I agree with everything Helen said. So there you go. No need for elaborate. No, I thought it was uh, really, really great and quite touching and uh, really well acted. Jack Loudon, I think, is a phenomenal actor. And I've, I've seen him being touted as a bit of a dark horse for Bond. And I, I can, I'm getting to see it now. I see that I'm now. Yeah, see I mean, yeah. He, he wears a suit a lot in this film, which helps. Mm. <laughs> but this film didn't necessarily tip me over the edge for him vis-a-vis no. Bond, uh, but it's more an, an accumulation of, of Loudon over the last few years and months that have maybe think, oh, this guy, yeah, you yeah, could do he, it. He, he wouldn't be the cheesy Bond, but if no. you wanted to kind of build up the dramatic Bond and, yeah. and build on what um, I think Daniel Craig accomplished, he would be a heck of a choice. He yeah. really would be. But it's a very, very beautifully shot uh, and lyrical drama, this mm. one. And we gave it four stars, four stars uh, accordingly for Benediction. Uh, next up, we didn't have anyone who had seen this movie, so we decided to deploy an emergency reviewer. Because the film's called Emergency. Yes, yeah. James yes, Steiner yes, is going is. to review it. Yes, thank you very much for this, Chris. Okay. Uh, yes, so this is directed by Carrie Williams, and it's kind of a feature-length spin-off of the short that he did a few years ago under the same name. Uh, and it is, in many ways, kind of an old-school American party comedy. You know, like Animal House, like Superbad. It actually has a lot of DNA in common with Superbad. But it's based on one key premise, and that is that America, and specifically American law enforcement, is institutionally racist. But that is... Un- that's what underpins this entire <laughs> comedy about drinking and partying. So you've got these two best friends, Sean, played by RJ Siler, and uh, Kunle, played by Donald Elise Watkins. And they have a, they're about to graduate from a college they go to, a mainly white college. Uh, one of them is hoping to get into Princeton. And they decide to go on this legendary tour, which is an all-night thing where they go through a bunch of frat parties, get absolutely twatted and have the best night of their college life. That is the idea, except they return back to their house, which they share with their friend Carlos, a Hispanic guy, played by Sebastian Shacon, and they find an unconscious teenage white girl in their living room. And the crux of this is that, Obviously, they want to call an ambulance or the police, but they don't want to get killed. And they're feeling very much as if these two black guys and this Hispanic guy call the police and say there is a teenage white girl unconscious in our apartment. It's going to go very badly for them. And so as with all of this type of film, things go from bad to worse. They make a sequence of terrible decisions and hijinks ensue. But it's not just madcap comedy, although it's genuinely funny. And there's one proper laugh out loud moment in this film, which actually had me in hysterics. But it's it's it balances comedy and tragedy and real tension because these guys are trying to do the right thing, but at every turn the worst is seen. And there's a part where they pull over and are immediately assumed to be drug dealers by two people with a Black Lives Matter, Matter banner outside their house. You know, it's just like it, it just shows you the everyday life of being black in America and the idea that and you know when the police do get involved, like the tension is absolutely palpable and their concerns don't seem wild or unfounded. They seem entirely justified. Their decision making, however, is a little bit questionable. So I think what's what kind of elevates this a little bit is I think they play the relationship between these two friends, between Sean and Kunle, very, very perfectly in the 
Uh, it's not, I mean, on the one hand, one of them is kind of a bit of a sort of fuck about stoner. The other one is a very sort of bookish, you know, they call him the Barack Obama of fungus because he does sort of bacterial cultures and stuff in his, in his lab. He's a science nerd. The friendship between them feels a little bit like they're based on polar archetypes, but actually it's much more layered than that. And there's some beautiful heart to heart stuff that those two have. And they're not just slinging insults at each other. They're kind of getting under the skin of what their friendship is and what their lives are and what they mean to each other. So it's actually very, very touching. It doesn't move at what you would expect the kind of clip that these kind of films normally do. It's not massively fast-paced. It's sometimes quite deliberate. It does slow down. Uh, the plot is complicated by the fact that uh, Maddie, which is who is... So the girl, the girl, the unnamed girl, uh, is played by Maddie Nichols, but the girl who plays her sister is searching for her. And she is a slightly problematic, slightly, shall we say, prejudiced, uh, and a little bit narcissistic girl who's off her mind looking for her younger sister who it turns out is a high schooler just to complicate things even more um, so yeah it, like it's, it's a really good film in that it is funny it is kind of quite pointed it's very very tense um, I had a lot of fun with it actually it's, it's a really lovely film and I think it keeps it's, there's a really nice feeling that it leaves you with as well so I don't know how many people are likely to watch this but mm. uh, I do recommend it I think it's very good go see it emergency reviewer yeah. says emergency is good and we gave it three stars which is a recommendation. A recommendation from emergency reviewer James Dyer. We should do it every week, just have you review emergency. Yeah. <laughs> just every single week. Last but not least, Very this week, so. we have The Innocents, not to be confused with the all-time great movie, The Innocents, but this is also pretty... Close to all-time great. This might be an, an all-time great. Yeah, give it some time. So this comes to us from Eskel Voigt, who wrote, uh, co-wrote The Worst Person in the World uh, already. So he's having a good year as it is. Um, uh, but this is written and directed by him uh, rather than just uh, written as in that film. And uh, it is a kind of neorealist X-Men if you will. So the idea is it's a bunch of kids. It's the summer holidays uh, in a in a you know residential area outside Oslo. Uh, all these you know, high rise buildings around a little artificial pond and a playground and some woodlands around. And Ida is our hero, uh, who's played by. And I'm sorry, I'm going to have bad Scandinavian pronunciation again. But Raquel Lenora uh, Flottam. Um, who's nine years old. She's kind of moody. She's a little bit kind of overlooked because her older sister, Anna, is um, is autistic, is nonverbal and needs a lot of help and attention from their parents. But as the summer goes on, she meets a boy called Ben, who's played by Sam Ashraf, and he shows he can do essentially telekinesis. Mm-hmm. And then all th- this little group of them start kind of experimenting in the woods and they just their kids and they don't know any better and they have these strange mental powers that they can do things with. Um, Mm. So for example, um, Anna starts speaking again. And this is a a girl who had just begun to speak when, you know, autism kind of took her back to a pre-verbal level. And so you can imagine for the parents, this is, this is huge. Their daughter is somehow communicating with them again. She's opening up again, but is it real or is it a, a function of what all the group are doing together. There's another girl called Aisha who joins them as well. He has telepathic powers uh, to go with Ben's telekinesis. And and all four of them start these playing these games in the forest, but there begins to be kind of a dark tone underneath. And you're really worried because none of these kids essentially know right from wrong. They're at that age where they haven't figured this stuff out yet. And they're just mm. playing and they don't know these powers are different or important or what they can do with them, what they can't do, what they should do, what they shouldn't do. And you're 
on the edge of your seat the entire time, just worrying for all of them. Extraordinary performances from the young cast, um, but you know, also extraordinary work from Void in getting those performances from them. He did a lot of kind of workshopping um, to to figure out who could do what, who would go well together, who would work well together, what they could do. Um, and I think it pays off in spades. This is eerie, haunting stuff. Mm. Um, and you are so tense the whole way through. But at the same time, it's it's just brilliantly done. This is a really solid seeming week at, it is, the, uh, yeah. at the multiplex or the or indeed sofaplex. Uh, he also co-wrote the uh, similarly themed uh, Thelma from a few yes, years ago, which was which Lawrence was very Trier, very good. Right? No, from uh, Joachim Tr- uh, Trier, Trier who, as well, okay. who, um, who obviously directed the worst person in the world. Uh, and uh, so, if you're if you're looking for yes, if you're looking for some uh, Norwegian. Chills and spills. Uh, sounds like a double bill of those two. It would be very, very nice indeed. Mm. Uh, so we give us one four stars. Four stars then indeed for The Innocents. And on that note, that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun when we'll be joined by... Well, Miles Teller. Hurrah. Who was meant to be on this week's show, but then I pushed him back to next week's show. So will you be up at the crack of dawn to talk to him? given he's Rooster. Oh, that's very good. That's very, very good. Yes, he is Son of Goose in Top Gun Maverick, which is phenomenal and looking very much forward to talking about that movie uh, on next week's show. And yes, we do have a spoiler special coming up for that as well uh, in the next few weeks after the release uh, with the director Joseph Kosinski. Very exciting indeed. Speaking of directors, our second guest on next week's show is one of the greatest directors in British history. He is the legendary Mike Hodges, who is nearly 90 these days, but uh, he was uh, happy to come on the podcast and chat about the impending 4K re-release of Get Carter. Oh yeah, Get Carter is re-released in cinemas next week, folks. If you haven't seen it on the big screen, go do so. So talking to Miles Teller and Mike Hodges on next week's show. Very, very exciting indeed. But anyway, until we meet again, until then, until that auspicious occasion, it is time to say goodbye to my two colleagues of such lethal cunning. It is goodbye from Emergency Reviewer. Goodbye. Goodbye, James. It is time to say goodbye to Helen O'Hara. Tiddly. And it's goodbye for me. I'm off to work really, really hard on getting that She-Hulk button right. That's what you do, right? You just press no. the button, She-Hulk, that and then boom, She-Hulk. Oh my God. So disrespectful. If you could do that for the podcast, that'd be amazing. If you could just go, finish the podcast, boom. Edit. Yes. <laughs> Remove all libelous references and or inappropriate jokes. Uh-oh. And then Siri goes, hey Siri, edit the podcast. And Siri goes, I'm sorry, the podcast is now only three minutes long. <laughs> wow, a whole three minutes. Yeah, I know. Can you imagine? Uh, a whole three minutes. Uh, anyway, that's what I'm off to do. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time. Bye. Bye.